0: And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Barbara Jean Lindsay, whose near-death experience after her lungs collapsed changed her from a single mother of three to a galactic ambassador. Barbara, thank you for joining me today and welcome.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. It's really an honor to be here and, and be on your show this morning.
0: Thank you. Barbara, if you don't mind, let's just start on the day your NDE happened and go from there.
1: Okay. It happened a long day ago before uh, cell phones and computers. So it was uh, December 4th, 1989. I was a single mom. I had three kids and I had two jobs and I was working really hard. And I woke up that morning and there was this white mist around me and I didn't have time for that so I laid back down and got back up again hoping it would go away but it didn't and it kind of followed me through the day's events where I was a little bit out of time synchronicity uh, where I would talk and people would talk back but there was a delay in the timing of it and so that went on and so later that night I went for a healing at a women's uh, retreat uh, center there. And um, as I'm walking into the parking lot, um, I started having trouble breathing. And a lady came up to me and handed me an inhaler and was told that that someone that she would meet would need that inhaler, which it was me. So she gave me an inhaler, I'm an asthmatic. So I walked into the healing center. And as I walked in, uh, I received thousands of shocks into my chest. Uh, And it felt like knives going in and the pain was so excruciating that I tried to stay in the body, but I couldn't. So I stepped, I went out of the body. And when I went out of the body, my body sat up in the chair and in front of about 35 to 50 women. And I full body channeled a being from Egypt in a male voice that thoroughly scared everyone there, saying that I had information that couldn't be given at this time, and therefore he was going to kill me. And then he collapsed both my lungs in front of all the women They gave me uh, mouth-to-mouth. I went to the ICU. I was told I wouldn't make it back. I lost a lot of oxygen, and uh, I have all the reports, and um, while my body was fighting for its life in the ICU. I also had all these people praying for me also to help me. And um, I went out. And when I went out of the body, I left all pain. There was no pain at all. And I felt light and free. And I still existed, uh, but without a body. And how is that possible? And I found myself in this liquid water, this beautiful, warm, undulating liquid water. I was alive. I felt so much love, more love than I would ever felt on the earth. I'm a very loving, kind of nurturing, giving kind of person anyway, but the love that I reconnected with uh, was me. I was it. It was it intellectual. It was beautiful, and it was beyond Uh, beyond imagination of the capacity of love that we have and where we come from and who we are and where we're going and in this love uh, potion or solution or um, um, bigger than words for sure. And I'm in it and then I'm feeling it and all of a sudden I look down and I don't have a body, but yet I existed in this love Uh, incubation shall we say and when I looked down it didn't have a body it kind of blew my mind at that time because how could I exist without a body and the moment I asked that question I went onto a spaceship and I had at that time had no idea I'd been on a spaceship before and so here I found myself in kind of a jump seat kind of a chair and uh, it was definitely a spaceship Um, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm, how did I get here? I, what's going on here? But I didn't go into any kind of fear. Uh, I was just waiting for the next step. And, and a a gentleman uh, in a a white robe, big square shoulders, big hood, about 8 to 10 feet tall, came towards me on my left, and um, his name, he told me telepathically, was The Guardian, and he was there as his job was to relay information between myself and a group of beings that I would meet called the Council, and so um, I didn't feel any fear from him, I just felt this uh, immense love and and an honoring of me being there. And so then he kind of took his hand and moved it. And uh, I did see his hand. And uh, there was a, a glass wall petition that opened up with the light. And there were a group of beings behind the light. They were all dressed in the same robes. I couldn't see their faces, but they had definitely Personalities and uh, with their personalities, they were all getting excited, and some of them were jumping up and down. And then they would all calm down, come to it looks like a conclusion. They would ask them, their main person, their communicator, to communicate with me uh, through my guardian. And I think they now, looking back 30 years later, I think they resonated in a much higher vibration. Is why they couldn't be with us in that space. At least that's my my thinking on it. And uh, from there, they sent me to different, about five different experiences. And that's how they taught me. Um, first, I had an experience with the Mother Earth. Uh, I became one with the Mother Earth, the heartbeat of the Mother Earth. Her and I were one. Uh, much later, after the NDE, I met a chief, uh, a First Nation chief. Worked with him for eight years. And as far as I went out there galactically and cosmically, I also, when I came back onto the earth, I got to have a relationship, a very deep relationship with our mother earth and that she's alive and, and uh, we're a part of her and she's a part of us and where we go, we go together. Right. And so I had this whole aha moment with the Mother Earth, and I was crying like a baby. I'm a crier, so I was just crying away. Even though I looked down and I still never had a body, I could feel all the feelings. And over there on the other side, shall we say it, um, I was 100% present, 100%. I didn't think about my children. I didn't think about anything. I was 100% in this uh, experience. So from there, then I went out, shot out of the spaceship with my um, uh, guardian, and we went over these hills and valleys of green on the earth. And it was miles and miles of the earth with no buildings, no people know anything. And I felt this love for the earth and for the planet. And again, where I was a part of it, it was a part of me and that the love connection there. At the time later, I was going through a divorce and I thought maybe they were working on my fourth chakra, which is that green color. And maybe that's what was going on uh, later. But then I also think much later, 30 years later, it was a Sasquatch connection that I wasn't aware of at the time. And their work with helping the planet uh, save and keep our forests pristine and a whole bunch of other things that go with that. Uh, so from that point, then I went and found myself. The guardian would be next to me and he would look at me telepathically. And then the next step, I'm walking up these steps, these beautiful uh, steps, and I know they're alabaster. I don't know why, but I know they're alabaster and they're lit. I walk up the steps and to my right is this huge a Greek-looking temple in a circular uh, configuration. It's floating in the cosmos. There's a group of beings that are kind of gutturally, you can hear them kind of going Uh like that together, kind of like a Tibetan monk. And it's the same robes, I don't know what's up with that, but the same robes, the same big square shoulders, the big hoods, uh, big beings, and they're all in a circle. And as I come up and to the right, they break and they take my hands and I become one with the synergy of the circle. But I still don't have a body, right? Um, But I'm still feeling it all. And so I become one with them and it's very powerful, very magnetic. And we're all focusing then in the middle of the circle on a column in some mist is a floating hologram of the earth and what they're doing is they're working with the energetics of the earth and that they tell me that part of their work is to uh, always protect the earth they tell me their names are the Watchers. And I know from some of my studies afterwards that some people give them a bad rap or they there are some bad connotations with the Watchers. But I can only tell you my experience with them as the Watchers where they were a benevolent uh, group of beings and their work was to keep uh, the Earth uh, in, a, in its right uh, placement in the bigger scheme of things. And so... They told me that I was a part of that and that I could return whenever I wanted. And I felt very humbled to be with them and to be with this group of, again, the love was beyond, beyond our love. And so then from that space, then I went to kind of a galactic party. And uh, in that uh, party, there were lots of different beings there. Uh, I was introduced to them and uh, one of them had a pink elephant head and a tuxedo i remember him he gave me a really long connection um there were some kind of droid like beings there as well but the work was it was an ambassador party where they come together and uh, talk about um, agreements for peace uh, throughout the, the star system and um so just when I'm enjoying myself very much there, on a spaceship there, um, he said it's time to go. And that I said, well, I don't want to go. I'm having a really good time. And he goes, um, and then I had one more experience with a group of these beautiful uh, women beings, uh, all of these uh lapis lazuli and turquoises and oranges and they had enameled necklaces and they were playing different music and their work with me was to show me their tone i had a tone it was my work to find my own tone so they were like sirens and it was all telepathic and so i experienced these tones with them and then i finally found my tone and so then my guardian came and said it's time to go again i said i don't want to go and he said but you have three children and i said oh that's right i have three children i am out of here i'm wherever my kids are i'm there so then i see me with uh in a hospital bed uh, with my best friend uh meditating there and uh i look down and i first i don't recognize it's me and then i recognize it's me in the body uh on the hospital bed and I didn't freak out or anything, but I just went, wow, that's me down there. This is me here. And and so then the guardian said, "Um, we'd like to offer you a mission if you'd like to take it. And I said, sure. And he goes, would you like to be an ambassador? And I said, oh yeah, sure, that sounds great. I don't know what that was or anything. And I said, but as I'm starting to go down to my body, I come back and I go, look, if I'm going down there, again i'm gonna need some serious help so can you give me like a get out of jail free card or or passport or something i don't know and he said well Barbara, we'll give you the we'll give you white light and i go white light everybody knows about white light and i threw a big fit like a kid and he goes no you you just don't get it yet you know and so i went back uh my body right above it and then I sink down into my body uh, fully owned my body filled with all white light and then I sat up and said I'm starving I would like some nachos and uh, but I had been given less rights and if I did come back on a medical it was a total miracle and I was in a hospital for 10 days and uh, I came back uh, different, but very much myself at the same time.
0: Barbara, thank you for sharing your experience with us. In the beginning, when you woke up and you saw this mist, what was going through your mind? Did you think like you just had a problem with your vision or or what? It, it felt
1: strange and it felt odd. It felt like it shouldn't be there, that there was a mistake, that there was um, a mistake that it was there. Uh, and then in the same right it felt familiar, you know, like later, 30 years later, it's like, maybe that's the way I would come and go sometimes in kind of a time travel kind of way. Uh, I don't know for sure still, but I know that um, it wasn't supposed to be there and I caught it kind of like I caught it by surprise um, and then it didn't know what to do. And then I was kind of stuck in that process, whatever that was, in be, kind of in between the worlds in a way
0: was the mist the being who said he was going to kill you?
1: Mm. You know, I never thought about that. Um it could have a connection with that. I never that's a great question. I never thought about that. It, probably now that I think about it, the energy was very similar. Um I went to Egypt twice to find out, you know, because then I became the seeker of truth and just wanted to know everything about ETs by 5 o'clock. And, you know, it it doesn't work that way. But, yeah, no, uh, it could have. I It felt like it was. Uh, I caught it. They didn't know what to do with me. I didn't know what to do. And I just handled it the best, and I had some help. It sounds like from, from friends from up above somehow.
0: Did you ever ask your guardian who was this being and why did he do this to me
1: no i didn't i haven't asked that i never asked that i just i think i just rolled with it that i didn't think to take it apart i just was so busy living that i didn't have time to really reflect or take a look at that but that's a good question um i've never done that
0: (laughs) have you made any discovery since
1: um, well, I work with them. Um, I know they're there if I need them. They play a real back role with me. I know I'm protected. Uh, or I probably would have died many times since then. You know, somehow, some way, there's like this leave her alone kind of a syndrome, you know, like, and that has to do with all sorts of different things. I, I have no idea why. Still.
0: When you were in the spaceship, you mentioned that you had no fear. Do you think that's because fear doesn't exist on the other side or it's just you are rolling with it? And
1: I think it was set. I think the energy was set. You know how you can walk into a room and you have the power to set the energy of a room, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, in the spaceship, it's set. The energy's set. And so... When I came in there, I had to, my energy, kind of like firewalking, had to be equal to or greater than that of the energy of the ship. And I think the ship was set at a real high uh, vibration.
0: Do you recall what the ship looked like from the inside?
1: Yeah, I do. I was like, it was very uh, circular. Uh, I was sitting in the middle, kind of kicked back, kind of like in a dentist chair. Uh, The lights uh, were on around the circle, but you never saw them. There were no, uh, nothing out to touch. Uh, It was all uh, very clean, uh, very clear, but had an intelligence to it in a way. Like when the guardian would come in, you would feel the light go in. When you had your uh, focus somewhere else, the light would go on there. So it was just kind of like automatic, almost like the ship you were in tune with the ship, so whatever you needed, it was kind of kind of there for you.
0: Do you think they controlled the ship telepathically?
1: I think so. I think they do. Um, and the air was so sweet. It had I, That's what I remember. It was just the sweetest air. But it was really cold. Even though I didn't have a body, I was cold. Um, so I'm not sure what's up with that. But I was definitely uh, cold.
0: One of my previous guests mentioned that some ships are actual sentient beings. Did you get any indication of that?
1: I felt that it was uh, I was in a safe place. That it was uh, a home-like environment, uh, even though it was a ship was very different than what I was used to. Um, I. Did, it was more, uh, ambiantic in a way, um, highly intelligent but had my best interest at heart. At least that's the feeling I got, I'm not sure, but that is the feeling I had from it. That it's like going to your, um, back to mother's house for for a holiday or something. I felt, I was very excited to be there as well. Kind of like a kid in a, you know, at a park.
0: (laughs) You mentioned that the other beings appeared to be excited that you were there. Do you think they were excited because, you know, usually they can't get humans to exist on their ship and they finally did it?
1: Yeah, I I think... Uh, the, the main excitement was when I went to the party, the ambassador party, and I met a uh, being there that kind of looked like a teddy bear and he had a monocle that he wore, kind of like a Robinson Williams, you know, from that way back early, you know, later. But he came up to me and he was uh, like a professor and he spoke to me. Uh, with his mouth, where most things were telepathic, and he was really excited because he had studied about humans and me and this planet that I came from and all that, but he never had actually seen one, mm-hmm. so he was really excited to uh, see a human that uh, he had studied, you know, for all these years, and and he was just wonderful. And uh, I gave him a hug, and you know, you didn't with anyone else, but with him, I did, and. He was like over the moon. So I did feel like I was in a amusement park and I was the amusement for sure.
0: Would you say that the party would be like the Star Wars cantina full of like beings from all over the place?
1: Yeah, I think so. But it was very elegant. It was a little bit on the more sophisticated side. Um, everyone was behaving. So it wasn't like a bunch of renegades or rebellious uh Uh, which I probably would have liked that too, you know, but it was a very uh, sophisticated, elegant, and um, it was a gala, it was a ball, it was a celebration, a big celebration, not just me, but I think for lots of beings that were there, I just happened to land in a galactic celebration party, Uh, for some reason, you know, and met a lot of different beings. And my guardian was very close to me. I felt him protecting me too, which was interesting, uh, protecting me from different beings that we were meeting. So I, I would have stayed there a long time, but when it's time to go, then it was time to go. He moved me really quick.
0: After you came back from your NDE, did you notice that you have any new abilities that you didn't have prior?
1: Without a doubt, my psychic abilities turned on 100%. They were flooded so much that I had no control over them. I would go with my children to like the, back in the day, to the 7 to get a Slurpee, and I would look at the guy behind the counter. He would start crying, I would start crying, and I would tell him his uncle's going to be okay, or I would have messages for people. So it was very much an out-of-control healer. <laughs> and an empath for sure turned on i was an empath before and a very ultra sensitive being but it was turned up 100 percent. and i had to learn how to how to work with it how to turn it on and how to turn it off and it took me i i would say a good year to three years to learn how to do that i teach that now i have school that i teach people how to work with their abilities but at the time um I was just uh out of out of control (laughs) just more more from the other side in me than me here and less of the other side in me so i had to acclimate to being human again in a way acclimate to being on the earth plane which is uh, much more dense um and people talk really slow i really like telepathic communication it's like Fine art, you know, where you look at a beautiful painting and it says, you know, a thousand words in a in a second.
0: And what other ways have you changed since your NDE?
1: I'm pretty fearless. I'm pretty courageous. Uh, I like adventure. I don't like being tied down. I don't like being told what to do. <laughs> I question authority. I think I did a lot of that before. But I think I'm a free being in a lot of ways. I, before I was, you know, I I always was uh, curious and inquisitive and um, I was starting to look into psychic abilities. I was a Catholic at the time when this happened. I was raised Baptist and Jehovah Witness and then married to a Lutheran and then was married to a Catholic. Um, And so this whole opening up this whole uh, cosmic paradigm um you know it was um to grok that and still uh, stay with my kids took some i i would much rather be out there than here but because i had three children i could only kind of go crazy from 5 to 5:15 cuz that's the only, that's the only time i had you know to really really um contain Something that's uncontainable in in my um, in this uh, spirit being having this experience um, and in this avatar body, you know, I think what I learned is that this is just a body, and I love my body. I take good care of it. But but I'm free from this body. I'm free from this matrix, shall we say? I'm free from a lot of the conditioning. Uh, freed from. Um, um, fear, but also, I mean, you know, I'm human too. So there is that part of me that I do, you know, I get tired and, you know, if it's a dark night, I'm not going to go down an alley, you know, by myself. Um, but, um, I just, I, I, if anything, it's a, we have, we've lost a lot of our freedom. I'd like a lot of that freedom back.
0: A lot of my near-death experience guests will say that it's more real on the other side than here, even though you were on a ship. Did you get that feeling?
1: I did. I was more alive there than I was here. Afterwards, I'm equally as alive here as there.
0: So this realm changed for you?
1: Yes, definitely. Definitely. I feel like I have more of a command over it <laughs> mm. in some ways, you know.
0: Do you think that this is a matrix or a simulation?
1: I, it could be. I think it could be. Yeah. And if, if, if so, I, I think for me, it's a smaller, it's a little smaller than that. I really love this earth. I think she's really beautiful and spectacular. And they taught me this on the other side, and that is she is a gem in the cosmos. We must protect her and take care of her. I know a, a, probably with your work that a lot of your indie uh, years have different missions or different uh, qualities that they bring back. And that was the one for me that... She's a really beautiful, gorgeous planet, and she is being so disrespected, and we really need to come in on it. I think we've taken some good moves uh, with the environment, but I think we can do a lot more as well. So I think that's one of the main uh, mission points with my experience.
0: So the Guardian said that you can return. Yes. Have have you returned?
1: (laughs) That's a good question. I think most of me is returned. I think a part of me is still on the other side, you know. I think also, I think I get to go in between really as much as I want. And I do that for people during readings or healings and um, where I get to walk between the worlds because I've experienced both worlds. So I get to kind of walk between them. And then among all of the worlds, right? It's not just one or the other. We're still black and white here on this earth, you know? And so there's so much out there that we are a part of. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a loving thing. It's uh, we're so incredible to have this experience and to be able to love just that experience. You can read it in a book, but once you experience and have it in this body, it's it's uh it's beyond the beyond. We take it for granted, and I I like expressing it. And part of my message is about love that we come from love, we are love, and we return to love when we die, and we never really die. We uh, are immortal, so we just transform into a different aspect of ourselves. Uh, depending on which planet you're going to. If you go to Mars, you're going to have probably a Mars body. If you go to, you know, the nebula of Corilla 64, you're going to have probably a body that works with that environment. So so our consciousness uh, can, you know, jump into different aspects of what's necessary at the time.
0: What inspires you about this experience?
1: Well, that I'm loved, that I come from love. Uh, for me, um, I came from a place where I had a really tough upbringing, and uh, I always looked for that love, but it was just outside me, so it's my first real, uh, having a mother, being a mother to love and be loved by your children unconditionally was the first aspect of real love I had really had in my life up to that point. I believe with these beings in this experience. It's about the love part. And we could really use some help here on this planet to be inspired about love and expressing love and, and receiving love. And um, it's not, uh, you know, people are, can run up and be a little bit afraid of that, because when you're in love, you're not in control.
0: All right. When you woke up, you immediately wanted nachos. Do you just like cheese on them, or do you like specialty nachos?
1: No, I like I like them with everything that works. And uh, I was starving, although I had all those tubes and stuff in me. You know, it took me, and they wouldn't let me have anything to eat at all. And I'm a foodie, you know. And so I had talked to my girlfriend. I got on the phone and talked my girlfriend into bringing me nachos. And so she snuck nachos in her purse, and I had nachos in the... Quarantine room and did all, broke all the rules, you know, and, and they were delicious. And I still love nachos. There's something about them, crunchy, warm. It fits all my criteria that it's going to be a good day. So, yeah.
0: so you wrote a book about this experience called Dying for the Light. And in the book, you talk about the nature of our existence. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, I, that we're much more bigger we have we're such uh, sun we're like a big planet ourselves each one of us walking here has such potential it's probably with human potential um that we can manifest and create with a thought and um we're very powerful and i believe from over the years is that that light is our connection to source which is connection to creative creative works uh, to manifest on the earth plane so we can create art or music or dance is when we're closest uh, with source, but out of that comes this amazing beauty that we are spirits that get to create beauty and to create things that have never been created before. And I think we can take this planet back and recreate what it is that how and how we would really like it, and that's in an unbridled, uh, fearless way, as well. Um, and that is us coming together uh, as humans in, in a in a love connection. Um, that we come from that we are that. If we can tune into that, it's extremely powerful.
0: When you say the words, "Take this planet back." Who are you referring that we take it back from?
1: Uh, from conditioning, from a fear-based society, uh, from a few that control the many. Um, that has to stop. You know, we, we. If every person here, it's really simple. We wanna, we wanna have the best for our our families and and create and 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 love this planet and be a part of it. A, a beautiful. Uh, synchronicity and involvement with us that's a natural, organic, uh, that we're a part of it, it's a part of us, and and to have that back. I feel like we've lost a lot of freedom in a lot of different ways from conditioning from our first breath when you come to this planet. Uh, What would it be like if you were told that you were loved beyond your wildest dreams, and you could create and manifest whatever you want to work with and how you want to work, how you want to express yourself. I think originally that's how this planet was. It is kind of like that Garden of Eden, and in a lot of ways it's just uh, been taken over, kind of like a virus in a way, you know, and now we get to clean it all up and and, and reboot and restart it. Uh, I think we're, I think I'm a part of that somehow, some way, I think I am.
0: For your next life, do you want to come back here or go to another planet?
1: I think for my next life, I'd like to go to all the planets everywhere (laughs) at will. You know, I love this planet. I'd probably come here on vacation, you know, because I love like the oceans and the tropicals, uh, uh, tropical paradises. I love all of that. So I'd probably come here on vacation. But I would like to visit every star system there is, you know, and and enjoy it. And, and I'm probably an anthropologist at heart. I like culture and meeting new people and new ways and new customs. And I think that would be wonderful.
0: Another one of your books is titled Seized by Sekhmet. Mm-hmm. Who is Sekhmet?
1: Well, Sekhmet um, is a, a a major goddess or pantheon from the uh, Egypt. Um, she was the daughter of Ra. Uh, she was the, the Uh, goddess that the kings would ask for help during war so she was a very much a war uh, goddess but also like a lot of the different uh, um, kings and queens or the higher beings uh, demigods of Egypt uh, they had many different aspects of themselves, and so she wasn't just a goddess of war that you would pray to to win your war. She was also a healer for women uh, who had uh, who were in pregnancy or during breastfeeding, and so you would pray to her for healing as well. And so I really liked that when I learned about how all of that worked. But I wrote that book because I visited Egypt. I happened to be at Karnak Temple. I went to Sekhmet's temple. I walked in and I had a full blown experience with her. She walked out of her statue in 3D. She cast a, a, a fire ring around us. It flooded with water. I stepped on a golden ladder steps and she um, put in like red beams, like a tractor beam into my uh, third eye and into my eyes. And she reminded me that I was powerful and to not forget that. And she kept me in the track until I got it, until I finally said, okay, I cracked my tooth from the energy that she ran through my body. So then um, the um, water went up, the fire went up, the steps went up, and she stepped back into her statue. And I was never the same after that. Um, I cried for about three days. I had a lot of I'm a um, an empath, and so i had carried a lot of the pain and suffering of the planet in my body, and a lot of that was released. And then I wanted to learn everything I could about Sekhmet. And then in meditation, she came in in meditation a few years later and said, I'd like for you to write a book about um, experiences. So I, I said, well, I'm not the only one. There has to be other people that have had these experiences. So I put it on the internet, and I got all of this deluge from people. So my book is not only about my experience about Sekhmet, but of many people from all different walks of life having experiences of her in 3D currently. So she is a very ancient being, but she's very much alive and working with us and working with the humans right alongside us right now as we speak. So... um so that book is a, is about that, those experiences from, and a lot of artist experiences as well.
0: Do you feel that the ancient Egyptians were ETs?
1: Oh, definitely. Without a doubt. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Or or at least maybe a mix. I think we're all a mix, though. So, you know, someone asked me, what planet are you from? You're from Pleiades? You sound like a Pleiadian. Are you Acturian? Are you Lyran?" Could be Lyran, you know, and I kind of resonate with all of them. So I think I'm a like a a fifty-one Heinz mix of all of it. And then there's a part of me that thinks that I was born in a test tube, never really had a planet. And so I just get to go wherever I want and not be attached to any of it, you know, in some ways. So
0: do you see UFOs in I do in real life here?
1: Yeah, I've had many experiences. That's what I'm writing about in this book. And thank God, not just by myself, but with other people that can can contest to it, that they actually had those experiences as well. Backed up with newspaper articles or that sort of thing as well.
0: Can you share with us one of those experiences?
1: Yeah, I was in um, South Point, one of my favorite islands, the Big Island. I met this girl um, and she said, hey, you want to go... uh, you want to go down to South Point. I've never been there. And she had a really cute convertible and and she was a good friend of my friend. So I trusted her. And so we it's a 15 mile one lane road out to the southernmost tip of the United States. And when you ride out, if there's lots of windmills and you get to the edge and you. Um, uh, it's beautiful there's these long cliffs uh, and after you get to the end there's these long cliffs out into the ocean and there were a bunch of uh fishermen there fishing and as we came up and uh and there's a hey there as well um and so as we got out of the car and started walking I'm kind of I talked to the fishermen asked if they caught fish and they go no and And then they started catching fish when we got there. So they didn't want us to leave. And so we ended up talking with them and and about two o'clock in the morning, uh, looking over the cliff, uh, there were about six of us. Um, There's like, if you took a whipped cream can and you shook it up and you spray it, that's what the clouds look like. These perfect clouds in the middle of the night uh, coming towards us and Uh, On the bottom of the whipped cream clouds was like a silver dollar circle and then like a quarter and then like a dime. And it just kept getting smaller around this perfect edge as it's coming. And then I remember it coming over us and looking up. And then that's the last thing I remember. And afterwards, we're all standing there and we don't say anything to anybody. No one says anything. And I'm the first one to say, did you just see what I just saw? And they go, yeah, and my friend goes, oh my God. And then we both kind of got the heebie-jeebies a little bit. And then um, way over on the other side of the uh, road, uh, a Japanese, beautiful Japanese man comes running down. He's got his pail and his fishing pole, and he's going, did you see it? Did you see it? And we all went, yes. And he drops his spell. He goes, thank God, because he had seen it and experienced it. Uh, and so then when we got home, I had, uh, we figured about two hours of missing time. Um, and my uh, boyfriend at the time had, was just about to call the cops because to find me. And uh, that night in the newspaper the next day, uh, there were many UFO sightings at that time as well.
0: Mm, that's amazing. So-
1: that's one of them.
0: <laughs> have you ever considered getting hypnotherapy to see what happened with that missing time?
1: With that one, I haven't. I have had a hypnotherapy session uh, with my good friend, uh, Barbara Lamb. and uh, But that was for to try and see if I could find out anything else about that Egyptian being. But I think the trauma was so much there, I couldn't unbreak it. But I might be able to do that now. It's been a long time. That was, you know... So, so we'll, i uh, but I haven't yet uh also was uh regressed by Mary Rodwell as mm-hmm. well but I haven't had a lot of good experience with that or haven't reclaimed anything new i I'm really fortunate I was able to retain everything that happened, you know during my nde so a lot of people don't. They have those experiences. For some reason, I was able to retain it. And like today, I remember it like it happened yesterday. And I think you probably have a lot of your indie ears say that, right?
0: Yeah, a lot of them will say that it's just as real today as it was the day it happened.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: All right. Well, you have a show called the Cosmic Oracle Show. What is that about?
1: Well, uh, it first started out uh, being a show where I I did psychic readings for people. What happened after the NDE is I closed down my fine art gallery and I dedicated my life, I became an ordained minister, and I dedicated my life to doing readings and healings for people. And I've been doing that for 34 years. And so, um, um, Oh, what was the question again? I just lost it. I was it. just
0: asking about what's your cosmic oracle show.
1: Oh, yeah. So I started out just doing readings and healings for people. And then I wanted, I was interested in finding out what the hell happened to me, right? And so I started getting other people who had experiences, so was dedicated to people coming on and telling their experiences. And then I started to go to conferences and meet people. So then I started having people I thought were interesting and their stories or their work interesting coming on to the Cosmic Oracle show. So now it's basically interviews. I interview uh, people that I think that their work is significant or they're making a difference on the planet. And it's a two-hour show on Friday nights on Revolution Radio, and then I'm live on Facebook a uh, Cosmic Oracle show on Facebook as well. And I don't get paid for any of it. It's a total volunteer. No one gets paid for anything. So I feel that's important as well. That's great. It's I'm, my eighth year.
0: Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Good for you. That's, you know, that's that's dedication. Keep <laughs> it going.
1: You. Yeah, my kids call it my boyfriend. <laughs> Just for fun. but
0: You have a school called Esoterra. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, it's a school uh, where I take people through the first eight week course and where they get to have a safe place. The first hour is we uh, work with their communication as spirit with the body and what it is to have this body. Uh, So we'll work through the chakras, through the auric field. through uh, being aware of what I call being aware of when you're in your body, and when you're out of your body, what kicked you out of your body, so you can kind of get more of an idea of what you're walking in, this avatar suit, shall we say. And that's the first hour. And then the second hour, we throw you in the pool, and you do your first psychic readings that very first day. And then we practice and by the end of eight weeks, you should have a much stronger body being communication, being very aware of your abilities, uh, letting go of some fear and some traumas. And you should have about 50 readings under your belt. So it's experiential. I really like to teach experiential. We do meditations and we do some shamanic journeying, and that sort of thing as well. So I love doing it.
0: So do you teach people how to have out-of-body experiences?
1: Um, no, I don't. I, if My job for the beginning um, is to teach you how to stay in the body. Because a lot of times we're more out of the body than in the body. And so I teach you how to be in the body. Probably more like the second degree, that's the first degree. Secondary, then we can teach more about having out-of-body experience and what to do and how to do that. Uh, I. Don't teach channeling until much later. It'll come in a much later. I want you to really know who you are, why you're here, and how to work with it. And then we'll uh, then you could. I would teach you how to channel. Um, um, I haven't taught anyone how to channel yet because I feel like no one has been ready yet, in a way. Because you really to do it safely. So I guess because what happened with me, I full body channelled a being without my permission. I'm not going to let that happen again, not only to me, but to anybody on my watch. So in order to do that, if they can be, uh, be aware, then that the chances of that happening uh, won't be so significant, I think.
0: If people want to find out more about you or ask you questions, what's the best way to do that?
1: Probably at esoterra, barbara at esoterra.us. Uh, Also on uh, my Facebook, Barbara Jean Lindsay, Uh, you can connect with me there. Um, I have a phone number. They can call and leave a message if they'd like.
0: Do you have anything else that you're working on right now that you want us to know about?
1: Um, Mainly my school, my second book. Um, I am looking at, um, I've been, since my NDE, I've traveled the world, been very, very fortunate. Uh, and so I like taking people on tours. And so I had one set for Egypt that right before COVID. So I am looking at the fall, taking a first tour to Egypt, uh, to sacred spots. I spent a lot of time in Greece. I'd like to take people to Greece, uh, to the temples there of the, with Sybil and um, those sorts of things. Um, I, uh, Scotland and Ireland and Um, So I would like to, in the future, take people, for them to have experiences at Sacred Spots.
0: Where can people find your books?
1: Oh, oh, you can find my books on Amazon. They're all there. Um, That's the best place.
0: Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message?
1: Well, I don't want to put it in a negative. I would say don't be afraid to love. But to really love with all your heart and give it everything you got, um, that's our best gift. It's our it's our gift. It's a gift, and and to just if you're afraid, push through the fear, through whatever that stinking thinking is, and get through it, and really love and be loved, and give love and receive love, and and uh, and open up to all that love. That is your gift.
0: Barbara, thank you for that message and thank you for being my guest.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's really, truly really an honor. Thank, thank you, Jeff. You.
0: Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.